We've been on a journey looking at the story of Joshua conquering your Jericho. And today is the final, uh, really, series uh, in this. And it's been, we've looked at the different themes that have come forward. Let me run them through with you to remind you some principles that I really wanted to communicate to you. The first principle was about where we gaze and where we look. If we look at the greatness of God, our walls shrink and God grows. If we look at the problem, the problem grows. But when we look at the beauty of our God and the Lord Jesus Christ, somehow that problem always seems to shrink. And the challenges in our lives in our first sermon was to move our gaze away from the mighty walls and place our gaze on the glory of our God, the King of kings and the Lord of lords. Your problem will grow. If you stare at the problem, it will shrink if you behold the Son of God. And when you behold the Son of God, it makes all the difference in our lives. It's really quite simple, and yet it's the hardest thing to do. We adjust our gaze towards the glory of the Lord Jesus Christ. Second sermon, we talked about the power of the promise and the power of the plan, and talked about Rahab. God has a promise over us as his people. We are his beloved sons and daughters. And there is a promise that is present, that is at work, that is moving. And we need to get on with the plan as Rahab did. And yet the plan is fulfilled through us being willing to be obedient and willing to trust in God and not giving in to fear, but listen to the Lord's voice and move with the Lord in our lives. Third time, we talked about the power of his presence, the difference that the Ark of the Covenant made, the power of the presence that moves, and that very often it is the presence of God and his holiness that transforms us. And if you think about holiness, and it seems a frightening concept, holiness really is wholeness. Though as you and I become whole, And we allow the Lord to work on our character in our journey, in our heart. And he forms and he molds our character. What takes place is that he he comes and he brings holiness. But it comes through wholeness. And often we're not willing to engage in his presence. And we need to invite the presence of God into our lives and into our problems. And you've got a problem, invite the presence of God into that problem. Invite the presence of God into that situation. Let his presence come. Then we spoke about unity. What a united force can achieve when we're walking around Jericho and being together and uniting together and praying with others and moving forward with others and the power of unity that exists in that journey. And of course, um, Doug Braun shared about how to be strong and how to be courageous and shared that wonderful sermon. Uh, You'll never forget that little slide, uh, Razums, Adivan and Jesus. And, and, and how in life it's not always simple, but we need to be strong and courageous. So this morning, what I want to share with you as we think about this whole journey, what I want to share with you is about uh, God's perfect number. 
And let me explain this, of course. There's a lot of sevens, but I'll talk about this. But the message throughout the, the scriptures that lead up to the battle of Jericho is that God has this. God is victorious and we can trust in God. Let me start off by saying that the Christian life is one of a victorious life. It's victorious. Often we don't like the phrase of victorious, but God promises the people, for the Lord your God is the one who goes with you to fight for you against your enemies to give you victory. And I don't know what problem you're facing this morning, but God wants to fight with you. He wants to fight for you. He wants to get into the thick of that difficulty as you pray and as you meditate and as you come close to the presence of Christ. God wants to fight. He is with you. He is with you in that fight and that victory is there. For the Lord takes delight in his people. He grounds the humble with what? Victory. And victory comes when we express and walk in humility of Christ and we lay down our own lives and we walk in that humility and he loves to come to those and he loves to come and give us victory. Uh, The apostle Paul wrote, but thanks be to God, he gives us victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. He gives us victory. You've received victory. We are all now at this stage as we face our Jerichos, we are victorious people. You may not feel like it. It may feel really hard at times. You may be facing some great battles. But scripture says uh, you are victorious. And John goes on, for everyone born of God overcomes the world. This is the victory that has overcome the world, even our faith. Who is it that overcomes the world? Only the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God. This morning, do you believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God? You will overcome this world. If you believe that Jesus Christ is the Lord, he's the Son of God, then you will overcome. You say, that's that's amazing, Phil. I'm victorious, yes. I will overcome, yes. Yes. God is with me. Yes. We're going to make it. Yes. But I don't feel like it always. Right? I feel it's tough. I feel it's hard. I've been waiting for the victory. I've been waiting for God to bring his breakthrough. I've been waiting for the change. But the change hasn't actually happened. Realize God has a perfect number for you. In this scriptures of Joshua, we know that there's a lot of numbers going on. March around for seven days. On the seventh day, march around seven times. Put seven priests in front of the uh, Ark of the Covenant. As they walk forward, blow the trumpets. There's a lot of sevens going on. And it seems like God was saying and being very, very detailed. Seven, right now, I want you to move forward. I want you to do this. I want to follow that number. I think the number seven is mentioned uh, 465 times in the scripture in some way that there were the sevens. Of course, God created heaven and earth in six days. On the seventh, he rested. There are seven great you know, parables in the book of Matthew, there are, there are the, the great moments uh, that are captured with, with seven. And we look at this number and here we realize that God has a perfect number for you. 
What do I mean by this? I mean that you are going to see the victory of the Lord. You're going to see God work in that problem. But it's going to happen in God's timing, in God's way, in God's number. It may be seven days. It might be seven weeks. It might be seven months. It might be seven years. But often when we are believing and asking God to bring victory, his timing is the timing that is perfect. He's the one that will answer the prayer. He's the one who chooses the time because God is the one that is in control. There's a time for everything and a season for every activity under the heavens. And then maybe God has given you a promise and maybe God has spoken to you and said, I'm going to do this, I'm going to work, I'm going to move. And you think, well, when is this going to happen? I remember, and I may have spoken to you about it on a couple of occasions, that God spoke to me clearly uh, many, many, many years ago, over 25, 30 years ago, that one day I would pastor a church in Canada. And I married Michelle and I said, I just want to tell you, full disclosure, one day I believe our pastor church in Canada. I said, are you interested? She was like, no. Oh, really? God, you tell me to marry her and I want to do this and, and I'm confused here. God, how are you going to work this out? I said, well, on our honeymoon, we went to a number of places. We went to um, Tunisia. It was a mistake. Um, they were killing goats in the street. I was offered, oh, I think 500 camels for her. And, and then I, I said, oh, we'll go. And we went to Phoenix and the Great Canyon. I kind of linked it with preaching events. I was preaching in Phoenix. I said, I've been invited to Canada. We're going to Edmonton. Yes. You will see the glory of Canada. Let's go to Edmonton. In February. So the front of the newspaper said minus 40, the coldest place on the planet. She looked at me and said, Really? This is Canada? Water slides? And so, and minus 40, so that didn't go so well. But I had to wait 5,110 days. Before the Holy Spirit fell on her and she said, you know, I believe we, God's calling you, us to Canada. He said, 5,110 days. How long's that? 14 years. You see, God's got the timing. God's got the perfect number. God's got the answer. But often we are not willing to trust God's perfect number in our lives. We're not often willing. Your eyes saw my, my unformed body. All the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came. All the days. God saw you in the womb and he saw your unformed body and he had all the days, all the days, all the numbers ordained already in the book. He's got it. We don't always understand the journey, but God has got this. He is with you. His time frame is the perfect time frame. His plan is the perfect plan. His date is the perfect date. His day, follow His instructions, makes all the difference in our lives. 
But sometimes it feels like we're going the long way round to get there, right? (laughs) Maybe that's just me. 14 years, 5,110 days seemed a long time. Approximately that was about the time. I did it on the calculator last night. Seems hard. Seems like it's tough. It's like, how, how, how? How's this going to work? Why has God taken the long route in my life and not the short route? Why has God, why has it taken this long to get here? Well, often it takes, in some, and some issues, God answers instantly. It's like, wow, hallelujah, that's amazing. And other times it's, it's long. It's for your own good. God's got the plan. There's a lovely story in Exodus 13 when they came out of slavery and they're going into a, a different direction. They're escaping from Egypt. And God, it says that God did not lead them on the road through the Philistine country, though that was shorter. For God said, if they face war, they might change their minds and return to Egypt. Sometimes the shorter way isn't God's way because of the danger that we will change our minds on return to Egypt. Sometimes it takes longer and these are more steps to go. It's a longer time. It's, it's a longer distance. So led the people around by the desert road towards the Red Sea, the length of your battle or your journey should in no way lead you to believe that God has forgotten about you and that there has been a glitch in the GPS. It may have taken a long way to get there, but God often takes us the long route because he really loves you. He cares about what you're going through. And he knows how easily we can fall back into Egypt He knows how easy it is that we can actually end up giving up. He knows that the victory is there, but he's taken us on a journey. And why is this? Well, know that your definition of victory may be different from God's definition. So you've got the idea about what victory is. We've all got the idea about what victory is, isn't it? And we seem to take a long journey and it seems to be a long way. But our definition of victory is often very different from God's, you know. And sometimes preachers don't help. Preachers will often preach, you know, everything is sunshine and glorious and life is like living on Maui and everything's fantastic and it's going to be awesome and, and, and we're preaching this all the time, but we know that sometimes life is not like that, is it? You see, the definition of victory, when you look at Jesus hanging on the cross, bleeding and dying, having been rejected, having been crucified, having gone through the pain and humiliation of being scourged and whipped, and there you've got a naked man hanging on a cross, that is God's definition of victory, but it wouldn't be the world's definition of victory true. And you look at that and you go, how can that be victory? And yet on the third day, he rose again gloriously. 
And sometimes we look at what we've traveled through and we say, how can this be the definition of victory? And yet through the darkest and most difficult times, God has done the most profound thing in our lives. Why? As Hebrews reminds us, fix our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of faith. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Fix your eyes on Jesus. And sometimes victory doesn't look the way that we expected. Even the Apostle Paul had to struggle. It says that the Apostle Paul had a thorn in the side. Therefore, in order to keep me from becoming conceited, I was given a thorn in my flesh a messenger from Satan to torment me. Three times I pleaded with the Lord to take away from me. We have no idea what the thorn in the flesh was. <clears throat> I mean, it doesn't tell us. I think that's God's way of reminding us. Because those of us who are here have been through a battle who haven't experienced a thorn in the flesh. And whatever that means to you, life isn't always so straightforward. Life isn't always easy. The victory comes in ways we do not expect. The victory happens within us. And God, through our pain and through our suffering and through our difficulty at times, creates a greatness and something profound within the depths of our soul and within our lives. It's what he produces. It cultivates obedience. It cultivates character. God changes us. I've had some beautiful experiences of the power of the Holy Spirit coming on me. I've had some amazing moments in prayer when I feel like I've almost touched the Holy of Holies. I've had some some glorious moments, as many of you have, when the power of God has flattened me and has met with me. But I can honestly say that the most profound change of character in my life is when I've traveled through the valley of the shadow of death. We learn the most so often through the pain when he travels with us. And who hasn't here had pain? But when we travel through that, there is somehow sweet victory that he is there. He is present. And we're reminded as he goes on to say, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. At times when we are weak, And I can't boast in my awesomeness. I can't boast in my gifting. I can't boast in my intellectual prowess. I can't boast in my bank account. All I can do is that is why, for Christ's sake, I delight in weakness, in insults, in hardships, in persecutions, in difficulties. For when when I am weak, what does the last line say? Then I am strong. It's about surrender. It's about letting go. There is sweet victory in the Christian pilgrimage when we let go of everything and we surrender wholly to Jesus. Nobody can touch you when you're surrendered to Jesus. Nobody can break you when you're surrendered to Jesus. Nothing can come against you when you've given it all up and you've given it to God. 
But we have to treasure the process. Treasure the learning process because often this is exactly what we don't do. We don't treasure the learning process. Because we learn so much as we walk in the extra mile. We learn so much. It says, do not give, give a war cry. Do not raise your voice. Do not say a word until the day I tell you to shout. Then shout. I'll tell you when it's all going to happen. I'm with you. Don't try and second guess me. I'm going to take you on this journey and you be obedient. But there'll come a day when the shout will come and the wall will fall down. Victory will come. But you've got to keep walking around these walls. Why are we walking around these walls? You imagine all the um, Jerichoites on the wall shouting insults at them, right? It's like a scene from Monty Python. You are rubbish. And, and throwing insults. They were nonsense. And they probably even didn't bother coming out after day four. What are they doing walking around these walls? This is nonsense. Look at them. They're ridiculous. But day seven will come. Seven will come. A shout will come. And the walls will come tumbling down. But they had to get there. They spent 40 years in the wilderness, 400 years in slavery, and even that times in the wilderness, they went the long route. You know, our little kids, uh, Christmas, we have, you get it all ready. It's a beautiful, when the kids are really small, it's a beautiful moment, isn't it? They're so excited, so good. They're like, yes. They just, just get up early in the morning and they run to the Christmas tree or earlier at night if you're German. Um, and they run to the Christmas tree and they're, they're excited and they're, it's wonderful and, and wherever. And, and they open their presents and to see it just gets better and better until they become teenagers. Right? Or that, that kind of age when they become aware of things. So they no longer wait expectantly to be surprised by the gifts. They then spend all of their time searching around the house looking for the gifts. And you become more creative in your ability to hide the gifts, right? If you come to my office in December you will discover that there's loads of gifts in my office because we've given up. I mean, my daughter, some of them are 20 now, and they're still mooching around in cupboards, seeing what they're trying to get. Opening things and looking at them, looking in bags. Do your kids do that, or am I just worldly? And it's just like, and it's, it's like this with our journey with God. Travel the journey and see the glorious surprise at the end. See the surprise. Let's not spend our life trying to always work everything out and find everything. Let's, let's rejoice. There is no better plan than the one our Heavenly Father has established. There is no better lesson than the one He desires to teach us on the journey. God's got some surprises and some gifts 
and some things to do on our journey to victory. And he wants to teach you those surprises and those gifts. And sometimes it takes a long time to get there. Moses was 80 years old. Aaron was 83. I love, I love the fact that they give the actual date here. Aaron was older. I never realized that. When they spoke to Pharaoh, what a weak theologian I am. Um, there they are. They're in their 80s. And now it's time to lead the people. It's time to move. We look for that moment. It's not until when they spoke. If you are pleased with me, teach me your way so I may know you and continue to find favor with you. Remember that this nation is your people. It wasn't until this happens. And sometimes God's going to fulfill things in your life, but it's going to take a while. Sometimes those things are fulfilled at that key moment. And sometimes we have to be like Abraham and Sarah and wait for the moment when the blessed gift is given. But when we go through these journey and we go through this to this moment, you say, but why have I gone through it? I've come through it. I'm victorious I've gone through that process. I've gone through that pain. I've gone through that difficulty. Then what? What is the reason why I've gone through that? Well, very simply, it's so you can pay your comfort forward. Often when we travel through challenges of life and difficulty, when we don't feel the victory, but we come through and eventually we gain the victory, one of the reasons we travel through that is so that we can, we can comfort people. You've come through that broken relationship. You've wept so many tears. You've gone through the battle. And at the end of it, you have been given Wisdom. You've been given so much. You've been given such a blessing that you, it's a biblical principle, you can comfort others that may be garring through the darkness of that time. Whatever darkness you have traveled through, at the end of it, God will use you. And this is what the Apostle Paul taught. Praise be to God the Father, our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of compassion and the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our troubles. So that we can comfort those in any trouble within the comfort we ourselves receive from God. When we've traveled through a tough time, we've traveled through brokenness, we've traveled through battle, we've traveled through difficulties, and I don't want to name them, you know what they are, and you go through all of those things, at the end of it, the precious gift that you have is to be able to comfort those that too may travel the journey that you are, have been through. So suddenly your brokenness and your journey becomes a comfort to others because you can minister in, in such a profound and powerful way. So think of what you've traveled through even in this room 
and think of the comfort you can give to hearts and lives. And throughout that journey, watch out to see the glimmers of hope. I was talking to a a person this morning at the door. And in the mix of the conversation, the individual used the word, but I've seen the glimmers of hope on the journey. I said, have you read my sermon? His tears were were there on the edge as the story was told a little bit to me. He used that phrase, the glimmers of hope. On our journey to see the walls come down, you and I will see and know and experience glimmers of hope. And those glimmers of hope are the most beautiful things. Those glimmers of hope make such a difference. Those glimmers of hope help us to see and we can comfort others. God is so gracious to give us little signs along the way that provide glimmers of hope. Are you traveling? But today you know glimmers of hope. Wow. See the victory. Know the victory. I've got to finish this sermon. And I've got two more points. I've been averaging about 12 minutes a point at the moment. So I'm going to push forward and just remind you something. I talk about that we have to adapt, adopt an attitude of praise. And on the seventh time around, when the priest sounded the trumpet blast, Joshua commanded the army, shout, for the Lord has given you the city. Praise is our defense system. Praising God pushes back the darkness, glorifying God. It's like a, like a, a defense system over a nation. It's like a defense system over your life. When people praise God, it makes a difference. And the trumpet was sounded and they praised God. And praise was the final weapon God used to bring down the walls of Jericho and usher the Israelites into their season of blessing. And praise is the ultimate weapon that we use to bring in God's blessing. And when we keep praising, we keep honoring, we keep asking, we keep giving him the glory. Praise utters on our lips. Boy, it's then in a place of praise and worship and adoration that you and I can see some walls come tumbling down. Keep in the attitude of praise. And listen for the trumpet to sound. So many of the great battles in the Old Testament were won because of praise. So many armies were defeated because they sent the worshippers out into battle. They sent the singers out. They went and prepared to hear the trumpet sound. 
The ultimate victory is guaranteed because one day the, the trumpet will sound, the skies will part, the dead in Christ will rise, and Christ will return victorious. We know the end of the story. We know the end of the story. Read the end of the story. Remind yourself the end of the story. And believe that some of those Jericho walls will come tumbling down. Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. I don't think there's a week that doesn't go by when I don't fall in love with Jesus a little bit more. And gaze in his glorious presence. And think of that day when the blast of the trumpet will come. And the promises of Christ will be fulfilled. Hallelujah. Let's stand together. As we prepare to pray, just think of that battle you're fighting, that journey that you're on. I'm amazed as everybody turns up to church and shake your hands and chat that actually Saturday was nine years to the day since I arrived at this church. And I'm amazed at how many stories I know, even with the hundreds that attend Willow Park Church, that your story, sometimes I know your story so well that I'm amazed that sometimes you've even turned up this morning because of the, the pain, but you turn up. And I know other stories that I've traveled with you from near or from afar through prayer or that you've turned up and, and you've got the victory. You've come through it. And now you have a great gift to pay it forward, to comfort others. Because we are a victorious people. We are a victorious people. But it doesn't always look the way we expect it to look. So Father, right now I pray for every Jericho wall, every problem, every fear, every anxiety, every worry, every issue that we're carrying. For those that mourn, for those that feel so poor, for those that are struggling in marriage and life, for those that need to hear a trumpet sound so that everything changes at that moment. God, I pray this morning and this final moment, your spirit will come and you will minister to our hearts and you will lift us up afresh. And God, that we will experience just a profound sense of your victory that is in Christ Jesus. Meet with us, Lord, I pray, in Jesus' name. Amen.